Welcome to the Israel Conversation by Massah Leadership and Impact Center, the content engine behind Massah Israel Journey. We bring contemporary, challenging, and compelling Israel issues to light in ways that help us stay connected with what's really going on on the ground. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here as always with co-host. Liel, Zahavi Asa. How you doing, Liel? Hey, I'm doing good. A little bit tired this week, but you know, it's almost yeah. the end of the week, almost well, Shabbat. Well, you just got back from the States, so you're a little jet lagged. A little jet lagged, yes. Well, traveling from outside into Israel very much relates to our topic. It's Aliyah. I think they call it Aliyah Week now. And so we have a special returning guest who has not been on. Liel, would you, uh, has not been on since our first year. Liel, would you introduce our guest? Yeah, definitely. So today's guest is Mark Rosenberg. Uh, He is the VP of Diaspora Partnerships at Nefesh Benefesh, a nonprofit organization that is revitalizing Aliyah from North America and the UK. He is an experienced educator and collaborates with several educational institutions in Jerusalem. Originally from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, Mark lives in Jerusalem with his wife and five children. Hey, Mark. How's it going, Mark? Oh, it's great to be here. Shalom, Mike. Shalom, Leo. Hey. Well, it's great to have you back. The last time you were here, as I said, was five years ago, four years ago? Yes, I think there was... And you're such a sucker... I came back, but uh, no, it's good. Your audience is growing, your influence is growing, and the conversation is more interesting. Oh, well, thank you very much. That's uh, that's high praise. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> well, uh, I still am using information from our conversation in that first episode, and so we were kind of hungry. I, I find that when people talk about Aliyah, everybody thinks they know where we are, like what's going on. And most people have very different pictures that they're sure are accurate. And so coming to you as somebody who works in, you know, obviously in the education area in Nefesh Benefesh, you you were able to give us a better insight into the actual situation in a in current events, in historically what it means and what it means for Israel's demographics. So if we could just start with, what do you think are the most interesting new developments in Aliyah? I know we've had some shifts in numbers during COVID, yeah? Yes, uh, there have been dramatic shifts. We're seeing an increase in people interest in Aliyah and actually uh, people actually arriving on Aliyah. It's amazing to say, actually, this week um, uh, marks the arrival of the 3,500th North American to make Aliyah. Um, and it's only, wow. and it's only October. I think today's the thirteenth or fourteenth. I'm, I'm a little bit lost. I'm not even jet lagged. Fourteenth, 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 which is the usual total of a normal year from from North America, like 2019. That's how that was the total wow. for all of the year. And it's only October fourteenth, and we're anticipating another thousand North Americans to arrive. Whoa! So wow. it, will be, it will be a record breaking year, and and to see that so many people are not just interested in attending our Zooms and applying to see this type of uh, turnout is really remarkable. I think it reflects a dramatic Which is great, shift. too. When people come to, people being interested is also good. We're not, right. It's normal. It's a, not, you know, I, I hate to use these yeah, terms. Yeah, yeah. It's the sales pipeline of people coming to the stores, people who touch the items and eventually go up to the register mm-hmm. to buy. That's normal business interactions. But to actually yeah. see yeah. the airport filled with people who are coming off the plane, I'm only speaking on behalf of North America because that's Nefesh Benefesh area of influence. But it is also true for mm-hmm. other countries around the world, specifically Western countries. So can you explain that? Is there an explanation behind why that's happening? Sure. So I think there's two ma- two major factors for it. One is uh, not a surprise for anyone who's been uh, uh, connected to the world, which is just the corona factor. Um, I don't mean mm-hmm. the corona factor based on anything involving health. But I think that the 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 processing of what this 
new corona reality means for people's social life, what it means for people's uh, professional life has opened up a window of opportunity for people who suddenly say, you know what, I really wanted to live in Israel, but I, I love my profession or I, I trained this profession so long, I don't want to do it, but they've been able to work from home or they've been to telecommute or be able to travel in, has opened up a window of opportunity who, are, who now can do that from Israel. It has advanced people's plans that said, you know what, I might have to wait seven years and wow, I can actually come next year. People who thought that, you know what, I want to go to university in this place, but you know, I, I really want that experience. They went without that experience of not being on campus. And now they're like, you know what? You know, it, it changed the perspective of what it means to be a college student. And Israel really has become uh, a, a really fantastic destination for people who are natural, natural Israel lovers for it. And I think the second factor, and I think that this is something that it's interesting to reflect back, Mike, to, to our conversation years ago, is that Israel really has matured dramatically. And anyone, it's, mm-hmm. any of your listeners who haven't been to Israel in the past two years because they couldn't travel in for corona are going to be amazed just at the roads, the changes that's happened mm-hmm. in the infrastructure. All the more so that people were 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 30, 40 years ago. Israel has just matured in its connectivity to technology. The fact that I, I'll, tell, I'll, I'll tell my stories of my days when I, when I visited Israel on my mm-hmm. gap year in a year that started with a one. And you waited at the bus stop, okay, waiting for the bus to come, the nine up on uh, up up on French Hill uh, by Hebrew University, waiting to go downtown. You didn't know when it was going to come. You didn't know where it was going to go and whether the last bus came. And then, now you take this device here and you open up the app and you can track it and it tells you what stop to get off. Mark is holding up a rectangle that looks black. Yes, it seems so. to be glassy. Yes, it's some sort of... So it's not connected It's device, not connected yeah. to the wall, like my, I have to explain to my, to my, uh-huh, to my younger right, children. Right, right. So the fact that people can now come to Israel and they can stay connected and they can... They can have real-time sports scores, which was a thing back then. You only got the scores a few days later. Mm-hmm. Movies came out, you know, months later. People can have this on uh, the same Netflix account. It's it is Israel has matured so so much as a society and technology that it's become a, a significant attraction for people. It's no longer what I'm giving up to come to Israel. It's you know, it's it's not a step down. It's now it's like how can I transfer or even improve my situation. And that's I think that's been the that's been the key. I think Professor Ruth Wise says that almost all immigrants always choose to move to a place where their life is going to be better. And that makes sense for someone who's unfortunately living in anti-Semitism or they're living in poverty because their their country is terrible. Mm-hmm. Of course, they'll take the opportunity to immigrate to a better country. You see that that's on the border of Mexico and the United States right now. You see people who are coming in from Haiti saying they they need a better life. But to think that people in well the- historically that's the story of most. Olim, isn't it? Most immigrants to Israel were coming because they were fleeing something. So that's true. And I think that is just in pure numbers. That, yeah. that, that, that definitely was also the mission of the Jewish agency, the state of Israel was uh, was Aliyah of rescue. But there has always been an element and something has to do with uh, Leon Uris. And there was that I there were a few idealists who came along the way. But what I think we're seeing in the past uh, five, 10 years, and it's being really um, ex- we see it exponentially happening now is the increase of people who are coming that are saying this is this is a choice I'm making, and it's not just an ideological ideological choice. In fact, I don't think people make Aliyah for ideological reasons. They actually make they come because of the practical significance of that decision. It really makes sense for them. Hmm. So, if I'm understanding you correctly, the Zoom revolution is making the distance shorter, which is part of Corona, and the infrastructure improvements are also a result of 
taking care of these issues during Corona, or no, that's a separate, unrelated. I th- isn't related. I, to I think that Israel just has just matured from a start from a startup to a, a, a regular country. And you think you think about the projects that that need to be done. We don't need people to drain swamps anymore. And in fact, when someone comes into our office and says, "Oh, I want to come and I want to live on a kibbutz," the reality is that the kibbutz doesn't want you. Okay, they'll, they'll do an mm-hmm. upon there, and they, even volunteering there is very difficult. They are actually at a different stage of building in this country. So it's hard for people to adjust the stories that they have of Zionism and, con- and coming to build. There are There is service to people who do come in service and they volunteer, or especially the people who do national service. And that's significant, that people want to contribute. But there are many other organizations or, or jobs that people are coming to get involved in, not for profits that is about social change or coexistence that is equally as important, but it's a different level of influence. And Israel has just moved through the start of the 50s, 60s, where they were absorbing waves of immigrants selling in different places, showing them, and to the 60s and the 80s of, let's say, inflation and getting to, to a, a, a more static state where we're arguing about, you know, civility and the, those projects. So we, there's still what to build, and I, I'm, a, I'm a big proponent of that idea that we, we have what to improve on here. But the Olim that are coming are saying that 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 they they were at a crossroads. Sometimes, you know, I, I was I was living I was living in, you know in in college apartments or young professional apartments, and should we move? Should we move to LA? Should we move to you know Teaneck? And they're like, oh, maybe we should go to Modine or Renata or Beit Shemesh. It suddenly became this equal choice for them because the, the country that has really flourished over the past 20 years has 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 is now it's much more competitive now, now there must have been a dip in numbers so we saw Nefesh that um there was a significant dip because if you see that uh especially those first few months the month of march we might have a normal 120 olim coming and then we only got like two in because the airport closed mm-hmm. but as soon as the airport as soon as the airport was reopened yeah. and it was very clear that always as israeli citizens can travel and, and people were approved for aliyah we saw we saw a a, a normal um arrival rate and and a, and a tripling of the demand for applications so we it took it took a while to get the the government systems to work by which I mean the American government systems to get a new passport or to get a birth certificate from the state of New York or the state of New Jersey or Florida mm-hmm. was extremely difficult because those offices were closed down but it it, it really the, the the corona year closed only slightly down 5% lower than a normal year with corona with travel restrictions yes really i, I would have I, assumed yeah go yeah. ahead Leo. I just would have assumed the number would be much lower. Mm-hmm. I want I want to ask a question about uh, assimilation because you mentioned people moving from you know New Jersey or wherever to places like Ranana and Modine and me my family moved from um, California before Nefesh Benefesh existed and um, and we moved to Efrat which is another uh, community like um, the Anglo communities in Ranana and Modine and other places like that. Um, and I grew up in a, I mean, I grew up in Israel, but I grew up in a very Americanized bubble, I'll say. Um, and I guess I'm wondering, I don't know if, if this is part of Nefesh, Nefesh, um, sort of agenda, but, uh, given the fact that it is, you know, Aliyah week or we just celebrated Aliyah day, what, um, are your thoughts on assimilation and how Anglos are assimilating into Israel and maybe, uh, their con- their the contributions that they can make as Americans in Israel, but also, um, how they're adapting. So, or are they adapting? So it's an excellent question, Leo. First of all, I want to I put my educator hat on and say that it's awesome that you use the word assimilation. Okay? 
because mm-hmm. it's it's precisely it's it's a really really great word because the the biggest uh, the biggest challenge I think in the diaspora in North America is actually assimilation. Okay, I don't think it's anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. That's a whole separate conversation. And and how much mm-hmm. how much how much you retain how American you are and it it's it's definitely right. it's it's a beautiful question to ask. And when you apply that same combination of 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 what happens to an immigrant, it's definitely in a dance. And so I moved without Nefesh Benefesh when I was twenty five, and uh, I'm definitely more comfortable in English. And I'm, I'm I, I listen I listen to Israeli talk. So the last year or two, months, yes, yes, like I, appreciate that. Two, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I just celebrated my twentieth anniversary living here, so it's it's really amazing things that that, that much time passes. And I'm very and I'm too. very comfortable in Hebrew. I'm, I'm less funnier in Hebrew. Which is a bit my big problem, um, but they're, they're, first of all, I, I also want to say that nefesh benefesh. We want to help pe- people go wherever they want to go. Okay, so we have no ag- yeah. we have no agenda moving people down to Elat or moving people to the north or whatever city they want to go to. But we definitely see there's about fifty to sixty percent of uh, immigrants who really want to go into a comfortable zone of Anglo's of English mm-hmm. speakers. So they will move to those places because the path has already been paved for them. And the schools that they're going to go to is knows how to handle new immigrants. And that's a beautiful way to go. And that's why the triangle of Beit Shemesh and Modi'in and, Jeru- and uh, Renata all the way to Jerusalem and Afrat, that, 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 that's a zone that's, that's really comfortable for people. And there's neighborhoods within it which are more Israeli or less Israeli. Even in Modi'in, there are different neighborhoods known for that. But we definitely have about 40% of them that are, that are scattering out farther to places um, and they are, but, but we see that it also changed it. You, you go up to a place like Zichron Yaakov right now, and you see that there's seven or eight families moving each year. And after a few years of that, suddenly there's an Anglo neighborhood there. Um, and you, sure. you see it in the schools, and you see it up in places like in Malot or in neighborhoods in Beersheba, Ashkelon, it's, it's happening. So I think there's always this, this idea of being in a bubble, which allows people to have that, have that level of comfort. Um, versus the people who are really going out there and they're slipping to an Israeli. Says, uh, uh, um, we, there's like two, three families that just moved in the past two years um, right outside Beersheba. So you have people who have that, that, that pioneering spirit that they really want to swim in the deep end of Hebrew-Israeli society. But a lot of Olim, they, they'll say this, that they realize that they're going to be the immigrant with the accent. Uh, but it's their hope that is that the next generation or that they're, they're, they're going to be able to um, assimilate more into the Israeli. Age the Israeli is the key group. factor, you think? No, I actually think it's attitude. Um, I think it's really it's, it's, um, it's I, 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 I don't like putting people in Wikipedia categories. That's my reference to Hanan Ben-Ari about it. It's I, I don't I don't I don't think it's I don't think it's specifically their age. It's really about your attitude. So some people can move to, to Beit Shemesh and they can have Israeli friends. You can, and you can speak Hebrew about it, and you can go to Beit Shemesh, and you can speak in English, and have your kid on a baseball team, and you could be really and have an English-speaking Shabbat table where you're only having. You can have the best of both worlds, which is actually what I think most Olim come for. They want that American civic mentality. I know that's big, a big on Mike uh, how they th- how we think about their their mannerisms and their thinking in a very liberal um, democracy kind of way, and they can have that sense of Israeli Jewishness, which is a interesting. Google of lots of identities together. So it really depends on how much you feel for it. But I also want to go back to the, the revolution of the, the apps and the cell phone. Is suddenly 
You have people who like, oh, I, I can't go into the banks and they can learn how to navigate, you know, making those deposits online on their phone or using the app for their healthcare system. Not all of them are in English. So you have people who are, are finding ways to, to be more comfortable with it. And I, I you see this, I see this with people we call, you know, the empty nesters who are like 55 plusers who are coming to Israel, that they'll, they'll lean into it, but it depends on how much you want it. For me, I tell people, when you look at the street sign, what language do you see? We have three languages on our street signs mm -hmm. here. We have Arabic, Hebrew, and English. It's very natural for me, my eyes, to read English because I have been reading English since it's my mother tongue. But if you can train yourself, you can train yourself to look at the Hebrew and look at the, look at the directions, and, and, but it has to be something that you're willing to work at. Can I ask you just some immigrant advice? Sure. Then, as long as we're sort of in that realm yeah. and not as uh, really, I you know I want to learn more and more about the statistics and the successes and things like that. But but you're you're talking about um, noticing Hebrew on the sign. What about comfort with kilometers and Celsius? Do you or 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 military time? Do you think that immigrants or even our gap year students who while they're here, is that something worth acclimating to? To, and I'm so excited to use assimilation the way Liel is using it. I've never thought of using the word assimilation this way on this side on this side of becoming more Israeli. That's so exciting. For so me. let me let me let me tell you um, a quick assimilation story. So I was in the Shuk. Uh, now it must have been about a couple of months ago. Uh, actually, it was a year or so ago. They, they, Israel has new money. They, the different colors and different people. Actually, it's nice uh, a nice variety of of culture they put on it. And I was in the Shuk. Um, and this woman got changed and she's like, wait, this is funny money. This in Hebrew, she's like, this is, this is, this isn't real. And I'm like, and the, and the Arab, uh, seller in the show was like, oh no, this, this is the new bill. And she's like, I don't even know who this person is. So I feeling very at home in Israel said, of course, mm -hmm. that's Rachel, the poet who's on the bill here. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's great. And, and the, the guy, the guy goes, even he knows who it is. And, and he, he's clearly a new immigrant. And, and she goes, yes, I can tell mm -hmm. by your accent. And I'm like, I have an accent. You have an accent. So to the Israeli woman as well. Mm -hmm. And the guy goes, that's a good point. We all have accents. What's the big deal? So there's a sense that assimilation is a harder word because Israel is a very complex places. And the moment you push back a little bit, uh, you you get your grounding and people always respect me. My, my name is in, in English is Mark. And I had to add an olive to my name because I didn't want people to call me soup. So I'm Mark Rosen, not Marak. <laughs> So I think that I think that there there are certain things you have to pick and choose and 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 figure out what works for you. Um, the first thing that Nefesh Benefesh gives out to all people that come is a magnet that goes on their fridge that has first of all the emergency contacts how to call the police because it's not nine one one. It has how to convert the degrees in temperatures for your oven and 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 to figure that out mm -hmm. and the temperatures to reading for the for the weather. So it's hard to remember. I will be honest that I've been driving in Israel for 20 years and I still don't know how fast I drive. Mm. So the kilometer thing is very, very hard for me. I know what the speed limit is. And I know I'm aware of the odometer. I just don't know how much 80, 80 kilometers really is. I know, I know how it feels. So there's certain things that you adapt to. I know what a kilo is. And I know if I need a kilo of vegetables or a kilo of rukulach, I don't really know what an exact weight is. So I sort of purchase my chicken by, okay, I need six pieces and I pay for it. I'm aware of the price per kilo. I don't, it's hard for me. I can't conceptualize what is a really a, a kilo. My weight, I don't know what my weight is in kilos. I, I know my weight in pounds for it. Yeah, I don't and my height, yeah. I know, mm -hmm. I, I'm very, you can't tell right now, I'm very tall. I know I'm almost two meters tall. So I, I so, but. Me too. But Israel. I, no, but my, my height, I remember. Yeah. 
So, but what I want to say yeah, one, is one of the beautiful things about Israel is it's always negotiated. So you mm-hmm. don't really need to know this. So my doctor, fine, he's like, uh, uh, let me measure you. I'll figure out your weight for it. So you, I mean, there's important mm-hmm. things you need to know. You need to know your blood type, and there's certain things you have to figure out what's really. You're saying about. if it's not functional, fun, if it's not functionally important, I shouldn't worry about. Yes, it. Yes, and I, I think it's, it's a funny question. It's not, I don't need to culturally be able to talk in kilos as long as I can talk, get by the thing but, at the end. But of the if day. you if you go up to marzipan, which is still like they're, they're still giving out that chocolate rugelas, like it's going out of style there, you can't ask for for two two pounds. You can't ask for two pounds of uh, of rugelas. They, they're not going to give it to you. So you have you have to be able to speak the common language of it as as long as long as it makes sense. And Israel's a place where it's always negotiated. I'll tell you another quick anecdote. There's a butcher in uh, right by the Shuk. I guess I, I bicycle through the Shuk each day, so it's part of my stories there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the, the guys are from Chicago. There, Shuk stories are perfect. the guy, the, guy the, yeah. the, the, the butcher there is from Chicago. And my wife goes in. There's like, I, what what kind of steak is good for a steak salad? And the guy there's like, who puts steak in a salad? <laughs> and this is like a guy's in his sixties, American, and 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 he's like, really, really, and he goes, he yells back to us like, who, what? And the wife's like, a steak and a salad. So the woman behind my wife says, that's not the Chicago way. The, the, yeah. the, so now, so now it's different this, of, of an age. So the, the woman behind my, my wife said, oh, this is the one you want. So you, you, it was a success. She got the cut of meat she needed. So you have to be able to to, to navigate it, um, and it's a challenge. One of the big things Nefesh Benefesh does is to help people, this is the word we use, adults. You know, how do you actually take ownership for getting your license? All these things of a grown-up needs to do. Make sure you're paying your mm-hmm. bill on time. And it's hard in Hebrew. It's hard in another country. So we really give a lot of resources so people know how to do it so they don't get a surprise bill from their cell, cell, cell phone company saying, you haven't paid your bill in three months. You're like, I didn't know I had to pay my bill. Mm-hmm. So it should, I shouldn't be worried about assimilation. I should be thinking more in terms of functionality so when it comes we to use the, We use the word integrate. That's not the cultural we use, assimilation. We use, the word, we use the word integration. Listen, I think it's also mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, listen, I mentioned my name. I'm Mark. You know, whenever I, I warn, there's three questions every new immigrant has to ask themselves. It's one, it was one of the speeches I give. Mm-hmm. What's your name? Okay. Um, uh, mm-hmm. What do you want to do professionally? Uh, it, it is, is, a, is, is a real is a real big question. Your name is is a big part of your identity, and it used to be you had to Hebraicize it. David Gruun became David Ben Gurion. Okay, this was part of the system, and there are still people who do choose to do it. I'm not speaking bad about that. I'm still weighing whether I should change my last name as well because Rosenberg isn't even my last name. It got changed when we, when we came to the United States. So it's it's an interesting mm-hmm. factor for it. But now people understand the diversity of it and 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 who they are, and therefore you you could you could make. I, I just help someone make with very difficult names, and you have to be okay. This is who I am, or I'm going to go by a nickname. I guess I guess going back to the assimilation thing, just to push back on it, I guess a little bit because I think that there is an element. Because on one hand, yeah, it is integration. This is the Jewish state. There are Jews from the states or wherever moving into Israel, and yet. I think most Olim that at least I've spoken to, um, there they there is a sense of uh, me, us versus them. There is that they are the Israelis and I am the Ole Chadash and I am the person coming from the U.S., Canada, wherever. Um, and I think that the reality of the, of the fact is that we are in the Middle East and we do have a Middle Eastern culture. And as somebody who took a very very long time to integrate into the Middle, or arguably I'm still immigrating after you know whatever twenty uh, something years into the Middle Eastern culture. Um, coming from a very Western mindset, I think that, like, I I identify it assimilation on a personal level. And so I think that, you know, so going back to Leo, that word and why me, I would use it. Let me it. agree with mm-hmm. you. Let me agree with you. I think it's really, really important. 
I think I think it's really important to be honest about it. One of my favorite parts about working at Nefesh Benefesh is I get to talk to people honestly. I've told people that they should hold off mm-hmm. on their Aliyah or, you know, you got to do something radically for it. It's important people come with great expectations, but honest expectations. It is very, very normal for people to want to have a certain quality of life and a certain comfort level and to be in the bubble that they're in. But to fool yourself mm-hmm. to think that you're having Los Angeles living in Tel Aviv, okay, or to mm-hmm. say I'm going to have Silver Spring in a frat is, is you can feel that way sometimes that moment with your kids on the playground talking to people in English as the sun sets on a beautiful day with the clouds. You're like, this is really, really amazing. Okay, that, I, I, it's, yeah. it's not trying to knock it, but to have to, to think that that's going to be exactly every single day. You know, I should be ordering things from Amazon and it should be getting here within 12 hours and I'm supposed to have customer service and the customer is always right. It's, it's, it's a bad recipe because you, you're ignoring the, the reality of how you can get things done to be successful and, and, and the way that things really work here. Now, I do think that it, it, some, some, some of these things we shouldn't accept and we, sh- we should really change them. And Olim are often the people who are sometimes leading these changes in Israeli society. And they're stepping forward to say, no, we really need to do this. Or uh, the, the kiss and ride at school is like a huge innovation. And Israel's like, oh, I never thought about having a few people volunteer to open the doors so that there's not so much traffic outside the school. And it's like it's like the ABCs of, an, of a school in the morning to have a crossing guard out there. So there are things that can come into it. But assimilation for me has a bottom line that everyone is going to be the same. Um, yeah. And it's going to boil mm-hmm. down to that same type of mentality. And I don't like to think that our society has figured out that formula or expression of what it means to be a citizen or expression to be a Jew or Israeli, all of those labels that are out there. But I think that there's an integrated sense mm-hmm. sense of how society functions. The example I always I use is, is a silly one. That first time there was that singing show, A Star is Born, and now it must be almost 10 so years ago. It was like a sensation. And more than a million Israelis, a sixth of the population tuned in to see Ninette, I think one, she was the one who won that first year. Uh, and, and it was like remarkable that even Haaretz had it as a picture on the bottom fold of its front page to acknowledge in a, a cultural event that's not really their you know intellectual sphere on it. The Jerusalem Post mm-hmm. had it on like page 15. Okay, and most people they, they they weren't watching that. They weren't integrated. The music that we're listening to, um, youth movements, um, a lot of activity for children or social events. It's it's natural. It's natural for people to find comfortable places. But I think it's important to have also to to connect to the larger society, mm-hmm. not not to not to be in your bubble. And therefore, I, I like to say to people, you, you have to find that it's, it's, it's a little bit of a balance to say, what is your social right. network? And I, I, for personally, I, I went I, I went to university in, in the United States and I notice or I reflect on it that my my core group of friends or I'd say a majority of my friends in college were Jewish. Okay, without knowing it. Mm-hmm. And it's because we had a common background and language. And I had you know, great friends who are, and still friends who are not Jews. And here in Israel, my core group of friends are English speakers because I have that same mm-hmm. sense of humor and cultural background. So you gravitate sometimes that even as long as your network is a little bit more connected to the larger society. Well, Israel is also a more complex mm-hmm. society, like the old stereotypical Sabra with the mustache mm-hmm. and the Kovatem bell working in the field and spitting, you know, uh, seeds out. It's, it's, it's a, 
There's all kinds of different so it's, it's, it, but that's uh, that's true. But I, I think there's another layer layer to this. I'm going to throw this out to you because again, I, credit to Leon to Mike. You do a great job in, in helping helping your uh, your your audience listen to this. Is that's not just a narrative about you know the COVID temple and the 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 stories of those people. It's different options, mm-hmm. but it wasn't reflective of reality back then. In its height, nine mm-hmm. percent of Israelis lived on kibbutz. In its height. Okay, mm-hmm. but that story was sent out to Jewish summer camps and everyone come to Israel to do it. Still to this day, that I get people knocking on my door saying, "Oh yeah, I want to move to a kibbutz." So it's interesting mm-hmm. that we 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 need to expand. I think this is part of the the option of Israel for people and people coming on gap year experience. They're exposed to a new layer of Israel that is much more similar. Mm-hmm to the right. lifestyle choices that they are making and living in the diaspora in North America. And suddenly they're realizing, oh, school in Israel is similar to school in America. Okay, it's three years versus four years, and Israelis are older because they did the army first, and then they get there. But suddenly mm-hmm. the Israel is just on a different level of it. And I think that also reflects naturally to the people who visit Israel have a different Israel connection than those people who are watching it on their phones or from getting their updates from The Daily Show about what's going on in Israel, which is totally a different level of connectivity. Can I go back to uh, sort of the big, one of the bigger things you mentioned earlier was, I forgot, you used some kind of marketing turn of, there's this funnel of people applying and connecting to Nefesh Mesh and then people ending up in Israel. What's, do you have a sense of the numbers of, both in terms of time, like how long does it go from first contact to Nefesh Mesh to actual arrival, and also numbers, do you have a sense, is there a way to know the percentage of how many first contractors actually follow through to execution? Is that sure. the kind of thing that Nefesh oh, Benefesh knows? We are, we, are, we are studying it all because we, we're, we're ever practicing uh-huh. the science to how to make this smoother mm-hmm. and, and sharp and sharpen our uh, our connectivity because we want to make this as smooth as possible and learn our lessons from the past. So it, it's it's very, very interesting. It's very natural. Someone's going to say, oh, I had a great trip in Israel. You know, it's really great. Maybe I want to live there, okay? Not just everyone who comes back from 10 days on birthright is going to be like, okay, I want to move to the other side. And if they did, we're going to encourage them to wow. come on a gap year program to spend a little more time, okay? Mm-hmm. It's very, very mm-hmm. natural. It's not it's not a surprise. And, and I, I think it's important to remember is that a majority of American Jews still have never been to Israel for their first time. It's, it's mm-hmm. it, Despite birthright. Okay. Yeah. It's 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 a remarkable. St- Can't be a very big majority with birthright. Uh, so birthright. It, it's a big majority. Birthright has brought about two hundred fifty thousand American Jews to Israel over the past 10, 11 years. Out of about six okay. million, there's about six. And million there's six million Americans, Americans and still a majority mm-hmm. have never been to Israel one time, and that's shocking to mm-hmm. me. Not, not shocking because in my circle of my Camp Ramah friends. Okay, a lot, most of us came. Right. And my, my brother's circle in New Rochelle, people from his synagogue used to come two or three times a year. The, no, so sure. I'm, if you're in a circle I'm living in do, a very like connected circle of people who have been to Israel. So sudden- Well, you have the same thing with Aliyah, with communities that have had a lot of Aliyah. You feel like three, 4,000 people a year must be a very big number, but when it's 6 million Jews in America so, and almost 7 million Jews here so in Israel. Correct. So when you talk about 0.01% yeah. of American Jews, it's still remarkable but that 4,500 Jews are coming. It's a lot. It is a great number, and they are having a tremendous impact on the state of Israel. So it, I don't want to diminish that. But we see so that the pipeline of people coming in um, is, 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 is very much normal. We see about 40% of the people who take the leap to actually come for a meeting or actually take the first step opening up an application will will move forward with Aliyah. 
the traditional timeline, it takes it wow. takes anywhere between nine to 15 months for someone to do it. Sometimes for a young person who doesn't have so much wow. baggage, it might take them only four and a half months to do it. Okay, it's the paperwork. Sometimes people, it takes them five or six years because they're still looking for a job or they've got hesitations or things that are coming up or they're going through some sort of adoption or separation or paperwork. So there are complex cases because you have to authenticate your identity. But we do see it. But of the people who actually apply and start the paperwork, it's almost 65% of those people are actually actually moving forward. Wow. So, But we're, the people who approach us usually are at a much serious, serious rate for it. So, so yeah. anecdotally, if I if I was to show up at Rutgers, okay, and uh, I'm picking on that, and 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 someone comes up to me, is like, oh yeah, talk to me about Israel. I can't believe what Israel's doing with the Iron Dome. Okay, it's usually right. a sign to me that the person just wants to talk to me about Israel. Okay, we don't mm-hmm. usually have those people. Don't come to Nefesh Benefit and say, I'm worried about the security situation in Tel Aviv. What's going on here? They're not coming in to talk mm-hmm. about those. I, 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 what am I doing about BDS? That's not a conversation. People come to Nefesh Benefit. They're coming into a very practical means. Well, how am I going to bring my job to Israel? I'm worried about integrating with my mm-hmm. Hebrew, and so it's natural that we're going to do that, and we try to work with people to make to achieve that, whether they can achieve it within a year or in a few years' time. Do you have a sense of the the major motivators of of the people who are signing up and ultimately making Aliyah? So it's interesting. I we we have we have a list of it. For me, it really boils down to. Uh, I think that it's, it sounds funny to say it. I think that there's a search for meaning is, is 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 a term that you could really bring together for a lot for a lot of people. They they have a comfortable life, but they they feel that there's something that's not connecting that Israel is answering for them. So that that I I, I phrase it that way because for people who have a religious inc- inclination, I'm 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 not using the religious in an orthodox or non orthodox way. I'm using it in a very general term. Mm-hmm. People who feel that there is something um, lacking spiritual in life, Israel is a very connected, family connected, family oriented society, and and Israel really really fills that up. Um, you also have a group of people that are off also thinking about Israel in a terms of opportunity. They're like, you know, Israel is is less rigid than it. what I, I studied English literature in college, and now um, I'm I'm doing uh, friend raising and fundraising for not for profit. I'm using my English skills, my 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 creativity and my communication skills. Israel's less rigid about that. And they, by the way, your English is excellent, you very Mark. I want to I tell appreciate you. that. Yeah. I appreciate that. I'm going to make sure my mom watches it so, I, so she can glow. Um, so it, it, Israel really is a place of opportunity where people feel as if they can they they can they can flourish. So that that's, I, I use that because it's easy to say, oh, Zionism. Okay, but we see some people mm-hmm. who are saying who are saying, I wasn't a big Zionist, but I spent time in Israel and I decided to stay. Okay, in fact, I'm looking at some around my office here. I have a few people that specifically that's part of their story. It's interesting. Um, every year, there's about um, we'll see how this year comes out. Last year, the previous years, there's about almost 1,300, 1,400 singles under the age of 30 making Aliyah. Okay, about 350 of them will draft into the into the IDF. About 50 of them will choose to do some sort of national service. Okay. So it's 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 a remarkable almost eight hundred singles going to Tel Aviv, going to Jerusalem, going to Givat Shmuel. They're coming. Just I, I impress you with my statistics. About sixty five percent of them define themselves as anything but Orthodox. Okay, anything from secular, just Jewish, conservative, reform that, and about the rest have some sort of religious affiliation, modern Orthodox, Orthodox. 
there's a tremendous common commonality of what they write on their applications. Wow, you know, the, that's amazing the, that you can see the that. The zest for life for living in Israel. It just seems a fun place to live. It's such opportunity. Yes, the government's going to give me a free master's degree. They mentioned that. So I'm going to come study here. But there's there's a quality mm-hmm. of life, and that's the, I'm building up for my third factor for it. There's a quality of life that that living in Israel has that anyone who's visited Israel feels it. They, they feel that charge, and then when they come back to Israel, it pulls them back to it. And that brings in that Jewish feeling and that Israeli feeling and that Mediterranean feeling, that hostility, but that's also sometimes comforting. That's, those are the things that people really mention. How successful are Olim in staying in Israel for a few years? Or do you still have, does Israel still have people who turn back after? That's the classic thing. You stay for a year or two, and then you can't crack it, and you turn back. That was like a classic. Back in Ben-Gurion's day, he said, when he made Aliyah in 1906, he said, you know, when I had friends who left, they, I w- there was no shame in it. Like, we totally got it. Like, it wasn't, how is it today? So it's, it's, it's you, you bring us back to ben- when Ben-Gurion came. I mean, those were tough, tough times. And they were, cu- yeah. they, were cu- they were coming with. That's back to the swamp. Yeah, they were coming days, without yeah. any pictures of what was happening here. And it was a big surprise about what they were sold to a bill of goods when they arrived in the promised land. Um, I, I, I'm going to go back to the 80s. My lovely wife uh, came here when she was uh, nine, Aliel, similar to your story, in, 19, in 1987 uh, with her family. And they went to an absorption center. I know they lived there with 40 other North American families that made out at the time. And it was very common that about 60 percent of uh, Americans bounced back to America within two years. Okay, and it, it, it was it was it was a tough time economically. The thing that my my wife says is the only item she recognized in the supermarket was Coca Cola. Mm-hmm. There, there was no cinnamon cinnamon toast crunch or you'll play yogurts or Heinz ketchup. Mm-hmm. All of these these amazing products are off the shelf. Doritos, all those things. They're like, oh yeah, I'll buy that. You, I, I mean, I back to what we said about Hero. I actually shop by. Um, color and image. I don't really read the Hebrew on it, which I've got in trouble a little bit. You have to read, you know, the flavors that are on there. So if you, you, you just have brand familiarity much more. And Israel was a tough, tough place. We are proud to say that we're working at a, at a retention rate that's about 90%. Okay. Whoa. I don't think that 100% re, uh, retention is possible. Um, it's natural for people to have family issues that they have to go, they have sure. to go care for people. Mm-hmm. Some people get offered tremendous jobs and opportunities to study at universities mm-hmm. that get to it. Um, some people do have difficulty, and, it, and it's something that um, will bring them to say that now is the, not the time for them to make Aliyah. And we also have, which is one of the biggest groups of, of people who do move back, are, are, are people in their odyssey years, your population of people, people who come on Massa and they say, oh, I want to do the army. And they're like, wait a minute, I want to go to school in America. And as many people mm-hmm. who say they want to make Aliyah, they, they're students and they go back and they might get stuck or they might flourish in the life they're living. And Israel does become uh, maybe more of a, you know, a, a place they visit later on. So 90% is, is, is our tracking rate, which is really um, uh, remarkable to the people who are doing it. But we, we consciously are working make sure that people have the resources to stay that they can. Now, I, I know that Nefesh Benefesh works on North America, and I know that North America has not quite as many Jews as Israel, but between Israel and America is well over 80% of world Jewry. Do you have a sense of what's going on outside of the Nefesh Benefesh world from other countries? What's What are the Aliyah numbers? Sure. So I, a little bit. I'm, I'm following it. Like, so the first, the biggest country for Aliyah is the former Soviet Union. Um, and after that is France. Um, and uh, they're they're challenging in two different ways because first of all they are countries that have anti-Semitism that are driving at it sometimes. Again, I'm, I'm not talking about blatant attacks, but it's societies where they have um, a, a more 
uh, I, I, let me step back to say I, I say something controversial. You, you have to have listenership. I actually don't think there's anti-Semitism in America. I actually think there's anti-Semites. There's hateful people. Whereas when you look at Europe, okay, there's anti-Semitism. There are institutions. There's cultural movements there that are blatantly pushing people around. That that's the point that they have security guards. And if you've ever gone to a synagogue in Europe, it's like that's a different feeling of living as a Jewish life in Europe. So the, 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 the yeah, I, I don't know that I would necessarily agree that it's not quantitative, that it's really qualitative. I don't know, but uh, you go ahead. But I, I think I get okay. what you mean. So yeah. that's it's, again, it's it's a way of thinking about it there. So and and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not bombastic enough, and I'll say this that we do get people who mm-hmm. wrote to us saying, "Oh, this, these attacks of anti-Semitism are going to really help Aliyah." We don't see that it helps Aliyah from North America. We we, mm-hmm. we it, it, it is the people who write in, but it does help from France. It, it has yes. I mean, there's been there is a correlation to waves of Aliyah from France, the rise of attacks. Mm-hmm. Um, you saw that from the the hyper cachet attack uh, now almost four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it dies down, sometimes the aliyah rate goes down as well. So mm-hmm. you see, you see that you see that as as a point of influence, and also the quality of life in the former Soviet Union compared to the state of Israel is 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 a big jump up for 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 many people who are choosing to choose a better society. Whereas there is an impression for some Americans that are coming that they're going to have to you know take a lateral or maybe a step down professionally at first until they can really get in a groove there. So th- there's a there's a different dynamic that's going about. The, the Jewish agency is reporting uh, a, an overall movement of numbers that are going up, and there are talks to how to make sure that it, it's as successful um, as as they come, which has been a problem for some of these countries beforehand uh, to make sure that the olim that are come are prepared. And I guess it's, as we're we're wrapping up, I, I hate to. Uh, Leo, U.S. yours first. I have one. Well, I just wanted to ask if you know anything about Yerida numbers, people immigrating from Israel. So, yeah. first of all, I know that overall, um, the overall Yerida numbers are actually down, okay, compared to pre- previous years. Oh, and it's been a trend over the past 10, 15 years. Hmm. Um, it's, there, it, there's a lot of talk about the brain drain in Israel. But it's overall pre-COVID. I don't know how, how COVID has impacted because no one was really traveling anywhere. But is, fewer Israelis are leaving um, than than in previous years. I think that reflects back to one of the first things I said that Israel has matured economically into a a, a, a place where you can have a higher quality of life than it was beforehand. But I think specifically about immigrants, uh, it, it, I, I, I know I know through uh, some of the examples of French Ulim, it was really very difficult because. The way that the French society actually trains people professional is is not similar to Israel. And the example I'll give you is that there's like an optician's assistant that you can get a degree program in a a certificate program in France and make a pretty good wage. Okay, and then you come to Mm -hmm. Israel and that's not recognized. And you're like, what Mm -hmm. do I do? Like we don't have nurse practitioners in Israel. So when 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 someone from Washington says, says I'm a nurse practitioner, I want to make aliyah, I got to say, okay, this is what we got to do. We got to figure something out because you can't do it here. But what happened to some French olim is they came here and they realized it once they got here, and they and and, and it, it was very volatile for a lot of professions for people who were accused to a middle class lifestyle to suddenly have to retrain to do it, and 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 that was a source of of great discomfort. Wow. Uh, I'm wondering about, um, I think because of Aliyah Week or Aliyah Day, I believe Bennett came out with a statement recently. I don't know if you read it. He said that he wanted to bring 500,000 new olim in the coming years from the West. So I don't know if Nefesh Benefesh or you personally has like a comment on that. Is that, is that, is that 
um, the goal? Is that what is that what we we should be doing? We should be focused on. So I have two comments. One is that we at Nefesh Menefesh believe in this fundamental idea called Aliyah of Choice, and it goes back to our founders Tony Gilbert and Rabbi Yeshua Fass who realize that from Western countries, they have choice and stop making them feel guilty and say, you must come to Israel. It's horrible living in San Diego. You must come to Toronto. It's a terrible place to, terrible place to be. You have to relate to people as, as choice. And the reaction from the beginning of Nefesh Benefesh has been wonderful. And we've seen this attitude been adopted by the Jewish agency and many other Shlichim who go out there that suddenly realize that, okay, our identities are complex and Israel is really flourishing. And if you look at any studies about what's happening to young Jewish people versus diaspora, it, Israel is a success story. It has its problems, but it has a lot of ingredients for success, which is hard to duplicate outside of Israel. So it's important to have this idea of choice with it and to offer Israel, which I think is a, comp- is a competitive choice for people who want to come to Israel. The second thing is that we're, we're, we're proud that the prime minister wants to do that. And we think that it, it is a worthy goal to have, but we immediately turn again to the government ministries to make sure that they have the facilities and infrastructure to make sure that those people under, can handle and process, that the websites are in English enough to, that, that, that it's going to be able to help them, that, this, that, that, that the scholarships that are available for students coming is going to be retained, which thankfully I can say for the past eight years has been stable, but there were years where, oh, the funding, there's not funding. You're going to get this to make sure that people are going to come and that if they're promised something, they're going to do it. And I think one of the biggest challenges for most Olim is affordable housing. A big conversation for regular Israelis, not just new immigrant Israelis, okay, is that, that there's going to be options for people to understand that this is something that you're going to move to places and there's going to be a track that's going to say, okay, you can get an option to put to, to put your feet down for it. And so there's a gap between the rhetoric and idealism of it, which sometimes people say that, oh, Israel loves Aliyah, but they, they like Olim less, okay? We don't like that statement. We think Israel loves Olim, but we want to make sure that the rhetoric is going to ma- match up with the infrastructure. So the moment whenever a minister says that, we're like in their office saying, okay, what funding are you putting into it? How are we really doing it? Are, are you increasing your staff to make sure that you can handle the amount of people that are going to come in to ask for a driver's license, to the people that are going to come in to have these meetings? Because we don't just want the line to be longer. Okay, Our goal is not, not to get people to Ben Gurion Airport. That's not the goal of Aliyah. I say that the goal is that you should continue to be, be Aliyah. You should continue to realize that it's a movement. Should be your, your life should be getting better. Your quality of life should be improving. Um, life has its ups and downs, um, but you should always be heading in that direction. Right, which was your, your point earlier that Israel has evolved to the point and it can't stop now if it wants to increase the numbers of Aliyah. It has to continue to be more efficient. And Wow. So I, 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 I was a little afraid that today's conversation wouldn't be as enlightening uh, because we've already had similar conversations in the past, but it's just, it's so much perspective and food for thought, you know, because I, cause you, you don't just work in this area. You obviously put a lot of thought and effort and communication with other people. So I, I, I know it's Aliyah week and I, and I assume that has to do maybe with the and Abraham moving to Israel this week in, in the Torah reading. But, uh, I, I mean, you're, there's, you're Aliyah, really there's Aliyah Day in Nisan, which is actually the day that the Jewish people crossed over the Jordan. That mm-hmm. is the official day that was passed as Aliyah Day, um, because that marks the first time the Jewish people entered in as a people. But I think because school was out for Passover, 
They made Aliyah Day and Aliyah Week first so that schools in Israel would also be able to feel the energy of it. Um, and also, I think it's beautiful because there, there, a, a criticism of Israel is the Israeli educational system is they don't understand enough about the diaspora and that they, they, that they, they, they think that everything about it is Aliyah. And, and, and I think it's important. And I think that, again, to the kudos work that you're doing is that we're showing that there's a dynamic, there's a give and take back and forth between the Jews living around the world. Yes, I actually, I will admit that the relationship has become a little bit um, not 50-50, that Israel has become dominant to the relationship, and maybe it should be that way, and maybe sometimes feel, people feel it should be the other way, or 50-50. I'll leave that to you to explore at a different time. But it's, there, there is something about the relationship, and Aliyah is part of that 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 feeling, and, and it's, so it's important that, that that I think it comes to the topic, not just because it's partial lechlecha, um, because I actually think that Avraham is a bad example often of Aliyah, because people make him an icon of Aliyah. Okay. Oh, he's a hero. Oh, people who make Aliyah, they're heroes. I'm not like, oh, I'm not like that. I could never, I could never do that. Mm. But if you interview, he's exceptional. He's exceptional. You, you interview our 4,500 Olimar coming this year, they don't see themselves as heroes. They will often admit that it was a heroic decision to come. Okay. But they don't think that they're heroes. They don't think that they're Avrahams. They think that they're just a regular person who's replanting their life in our historic land. And they're happy to make that connection from the past to the present and the Jews around the world. Awesome. Yeah. And it feels good to be home. And I think, you know, our listener demographics break down somewhat that way. A lot of listeners in Israel, but most of our listeners, pretty close to half is Israel, are here, the downloads are here in Israel, but a little more than half are in mostly English speaking countries and a few other countries. And I think that your insights, I think, are important and valuable for both sides. So I think you're exactly what, uh, your comments and your thoughts and your perspective are exactly what we wanted for, for this week's episode. So thank you so much. We really appreciate Definitely. it. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. It was great, great, great conversation and enjoy your continued Aliyah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we do. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Leo. Okay. We don't have to log off the Zoom, but it's the end of the episode. So I'm stopping the recording. Bye-bye. Masa Israel Journey is dedicated to shaping a promising future for the young Jewish individual, the global Jewish community, and the connection to the state of Israel. Masa offers life-transforming, long-term opportunities in Israel that allows fellows to create their own future. Check out MasaIsrael.org for more info.